Our scripture reading today is from Joshua 1, 1 through 18. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites of the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said to them, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Brenda. Good morning. My name is Drew Bennett. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Redeemer. If you've been with us this spring, you know that we have been uh, in a series of sermons from the Old Testament scriptures, and we've, uh, for the most part, since Christmas, been in the book of Exodus, and we're skipping way ahead now to the book of Joshua because we're following the story of God's people, Israel, as they continue to wander toward the promised land, the land that God had promised to give to Abraham and his descendants almost 400 years before this scene here. Uh, It's finally happening. And so in many ways, this scene, in this scene, the story that we've been trying to tell is coming full circle. And let me explain it this way. If you remember, 
way back in the fall, we talked about the, the stories in Genesis. And in the stories in Genesis, we came across uh, Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, who are created by God and put in a garden. And, and then in the garden, they are told to work and to care for all that God had created. But of course, they sin. And if you remember, after they sin, they're exiled out of God's presence, out of God's land, out of his of his garden and his paradise to the east to wander in the wilderness. And that's a symbol of alienation and restlessness and homelessness. But what's happening here is so many centuries later, they are finally done with their wanderings and they're coming from the east back into uh, God's land, God's garden, God's paradise. They're re-entering a land flowing with milk and honey, which is a symbol of abundance and rest and security. They're on the verge. Israel here is on the verge of re-entering the garden of God. That's the powerful symbol of the land in the Bible. They're coming back and they're going to take the land. That's what the book of Joshua is about. Their conquest of God's land. And the land evokes the idea of God's presence, his nearness, and his blessing. It's Eden in its most basic sense. It can mean something like this. And so kids, if, you're, if you want to make sense of when the Bible talks about the promised land, think about it this way. In its most basic sense, it means something like home. And I think that resonates with most of us, doesn't it? Uh, in a way that probably is helpful because we all know what home means, don't we? Home Home, for most of us, home is the place where you belong. It's the place where you're most comfortable. It's the place where you can be yourself, where, where your, most of your memories are, where the people that you love live. Home. Israel's going home. The land is home. And so that's what this book is about. Now, the New Testament describes you and I, if your faith is in Jesus in particular, as strangers and aliens are homeless and who are looking for a heavenly home. So this world as it is, is not our home. We just finished reading Hebrews. Uh, and in Hebrews 13, verse 4, you have all this language in Hebrews, but particularly at, towards the end of the book, verse 4 in, in um, excuse me, verse 14 in, in Hebrews chapter 13 says, Here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that, it's the, that is to come. And that's why the church has historically sung songs like, on Jordan Stormy Banks, which I think we're going to sing later in the service, right? I'm bound, I'm bound, I'm bound for the promised land. You might think, what does that mean? I mean, why, why are we singing? What, what does that have to do with anything uh, that, that we're really talking about or with my life? You see, these stories of Israel's going home are, are echo a part of our experience too, that as Hebrews says, we're looking for a city that is to come. We are the people who are looking for a heavenly home. But even while we wait the Hebrews writer says that we are to seek, even now, seek a heavenly city. That, that's another way of saying that Jesus has taught us, even now, as we wait for God to come again to bring us home, we, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so to seek a heavenly city means you go to work to transform the chaos and the brokenness of our city into what Augustine famously called the city of God. Israel descending upon the land, right, to conquer and subdue their enemies is a picture of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into the world, the heavenly city, our heavenly home, coming into our world, making all things new. Now, I want to just make a couple of applications before we even get to the, the main bulk of what I want to talk about this morning. That's always scary when a, when a preacher does that, but I promise it won't lengthen what I have to say. 
But just a couple of applications for us as we think about the next few weeks being in this book of Joshua, okay? What it means for us, they're positioned here on the verge of their home. And what it means for us to be people who are also looking for God to give us and to deliver into our hands a home, a heavenly home that we can finally uh, be at peace in. Okay, just three things really quickly by way of application as we prepare our hearts for this. First, part of our experience should be a homesickness for heaven and for God himself. If we are a people who are still looking for, for a home, then part of what we should just really understand to be our typical experience would be a homesickness for heaven and for ultimately God himself. And I wish we had more time to talk about this. We sang, Jesus on my cross have taken. It's an evocative song, isn't it? You see, you see not to sing Lauren out, but you saw Lauren get choked up. And I mean, you could feel kind of the emotion even in the room. I don't want to be too like mystical and super spiritual, but, but they're really, it's a real evocative song because it, 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 there's a lot of emotional truths that are, that are um, being talked about in that song and the strong language of sacrifice and mission. And so part of what motivates us, even to be able to sing songs like that and ask God to do those kinds of things, that we would take up our cross and follow him is a spiritual homesickness. C.S. Lewis said most things brilliantly, but said this brilliantly as well. He said that all of our havings in this world are still really only wantings. That he, in other words, even the best things in our lives don't fully satisfy us, even when it's going really well, even when the to-do list is finished, which is a good day, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Even, even on those days, we can't seem to settle in. Why? Why? Why, even when it's going the best it could possibly go, do we still have a hard time kind of settling in? It's because we've been made for heaven. The new heavens and the new earth is our home. We've been made to stare God in the face and see his smile. That's our tetelion, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. That's our home. And so part of our experience should be a homesickness for heaven and for God himself. But secondly... If that's true, then in order to get home, like we see here in Joshua, in order to get home, you have to go on, a, go on an adventure. There's no other way to get home but to go on a mission. You have to go on an adventure. The only way to get home is to go to war. Now, I know that I refer to J.R.R. Tolkien quite a bit, but he puts this probably better than anybody does in the, the, the book, The Hobbit, Particularly in the movie, if you've seen the movies that have been out recently, it's really the theme of the story. Uh, we meet with dwarves who are haunted by a home that has been lost years before. And in the movie, I, I looked at it again this week, it, it's really great. There's one point in the first movie where Bilbo is missing. Bilbo, who is the hobbit who has gone with them, he's missing. He's their burglar. He's going to help them s- steal back the treasure that's been stolen from them. And they assume that because he's missing that he must have gone back to his home, to the Shire. But then all of a sudden he's there. And they ask him, why did you come back? And this is his answer. And I just thought it was so wonderful. He says, and and, you know, of course the, the, the music starts to play in the background, right? If you've seen the movies, you know how it's all just real like loaded up emotionally and stuff. And this is one of those moments. He says, you know, I often think of Bag End. I miss my books, which I can amen. And I miss my armchair and my garden. See, that's where I belong. That's home. And that's why I came back. Because you don't have one. You don't have a home. It was taken from you. But I will help you take it back if I can. 
And that, and then, and then uh, it's, it's at that point you realize, okay, this is the point of the story. And if you're familiar with the story, you'll remember back at the beginning when Gandalf first shows up at Bilbo's door and invites him on an adventure. If you remember what Bilbo, it's a classic uh, little statement that he makes there at the beginning of the book. He says, no adventures here, thank you. We are a plain, quiet folk with no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things they are make you late for dinner. <laughs> In other words, just leave me alone. I kind of like my life, my nice, quiet, predictable life here. And yet, he is swept up into this, this, this adventure, this mission that overtakes his life. And there's even a point in the story where he tries to sneak out and leave his company and head back home, but he doesn't. And when you see him at this point in the story where he says, I'll help you take your home uh, back, you know, you realize that he's changed, that he's different because he's come to realize there's only one way to get home, you have to go on an adventure. You have to go on a mission. And here are Joshua and the Israelites, weapons drawn on the doorstep of their home that has been taken from them, ready to fight to take it back. And what I want to say to you, just as we kind of cast vision for this series and what this is going to look like for us to really sink our teeth into this, we have a mission too. And can I say something as your friend, gently, but I hope truth. If you're here and your life isn't about mission, if you're here and you've not gone on an adventure, then maybe you're not a Christian yet. Because every, every Christian person, see, the, 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 the temptation is to deal with our homesickness by trying to make a home out of this world. But that, the Bible says, is making peace with the world, which is, of course, to make war with God. We are people who because of our homesickness for heaven and for God himself, have gone on an adventure trying to find home. And that leads to the third thing that I want to say this morning. And the third thing is, the third application at the very beginning is, if that's true, if because of our homesickness for heaven, we have no choice but to go on an adventure like our friend Bilbo in The Hobbit, then the thing we need more than anything else is we need courage. Every adventure requires courage. And that's what this passage is about. Did you notice As Brenda was reading, how many times she repeated this phrase, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And that, of course, is what this passage is about. So uh, three things about courage. We just want to talk about courage this morning as it relates to the mission that God has called us, uh, the adventure that he has called us to go on uh, together toward the kingdom of heaven. And let me just make these three points. First, I want to talk about the definition of courage. I want to try to define it. Secondly, I want to show you what, what the source of courage, where it comes from. And then thirdly, I think the passage is really helpful in showing us some of the spiritual disciplines that we can put in place in our lives that will help develop courage in us where we lack it, okay? So the definition, the source, and the spiritual disciplines of courage. So let's just begin there with the first point. Let's define what I mean by courage. Four times, four times in the passage, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And that phrase in the Hebrew brings together two words, uh, that show us what courage is and what courage does. So that's how I want to define it. How, what courage is and what courage does. See, the first word is the word that's translated courage. And it refers to the moral attribute that we, ref- that we refer to when we use that word. Courage is always, always, anywhere you look, it's always on the list of, of, of the cardinal virtues or the classical virtues uh, any Greek or Roman philosopher would put together. Every person should seek courage, according to the Greeks and the Romans. It's, it's a vital part of who we've been created to be. And so, for example, Plato said there were four cardinal virtues. 
uh, and, and that constitute an enlightened soul and that must be operating in society for society to survive and thrive. And one of those virtues was courage. C.S. Lewis deals with Plato's four classical virtues in Mere Christianity. He says that courage is actually the most important of all of them because if you don't have courage, you won't be able to endure long enough to develop any of the other virtues. So courage has got to be there or you won't be able to persevere and become a person who's wise and become a person who's just and become a person who's temperate and these sorts of things. And that's what the ancients meant by courage. They meant the ability to endure through suffering and pain and not quit. Or if you want to put it this way, courage is the ability to take a punch and keep going. Now immediately we get a picture in our mind, don't we, of the kind of people we would define as courageous and they always seem to have lots of muscles and deep voices and very nice beards that I can't seem to grow and they spit in the face of death, right? And that's what I imagine Joshua like. He is the general of the army and he's going to war so it makes sense that we would imagine him like this but that can be a little intimidating to me because, well, I'm none of those things. So I want to offer a slightly different perspective. Aristotle, man, we're getting deep in philosophy this morning, aren't we? Plato and now Aristotle, hang in there. Aristotle, Plato's star pupil, affirmed his teacher's four classical virtues, but he defined them a little differently. He said that true virtue, this was Aristotle's way of putting it, true virtue is always found as a middle ground between two extremes. And so in his definition of courage, he said that it's really the middle state between on cowardice on the one hand and rashness on the other. And Aristotle, it's interesting, believed that it's possible to be too brave too thrill-seeking. In other words, you can have this overly self-confident air about you that a self-confidence that becomes rashness. And what he said is real courage is always measured. It's, it comes from a feeling of weakness in the face of whatever challenge that's in front of you. But even though you feel weak, you keep going. Right, maybe one of the best scenes is if you've seen, I mean, I, you know, I think in movies, and I, apologize, I know that gets annoying sometimes, but if you've ever seen um, Rudy, the movie Rudy, you remember the scene in Rudy, he's the smallest guy on the team, and he just keeps, I mean, there's this, there's this cut of scenes where, I mean, you, basically you watch these big, strong football guys just put him on his rear end about 45 times in a row. Right, do you remember that? <laughs> there he is on the ground, he gets back up. <laughs> there, I mean, he tries it again. And they just keep knocking them down. That, that really is, Aristotle would say, see, that's courage. Courage is, is, a measured, is a measured sense of perseverance. It's feeling your weakness, but in the face of whatever challenge you find yourself in, you keep going. And you sense this about Joshua and Israel, I think, as you read the passage, that they needed to hear God say. Why did he have to say it four times? Be strong and courageous. They needed to hear God say that because they weren't. And that, quite honestly, is why I love Tolkien's books so much, because the hero is never the warrior or the king or the wizard. It's always the little guy who has found, his, found a way to overcome his fears and to keep going, and that's courage. But secondly, we not only see what courage is, we see also what courage does, and it's in the second word in this phrase. And the best translation that I found might be something like this. Be full of courage and resolute. And I love that word resolute. I don't know why, uh, but I, it just, there's something about it. Like people said it 200 years ago, we don't use that word anymore. You know what I mean? Resolute. What does that mean? 
And it means to be purposeful and diligent and unwavering. Courage, in other words, is intentional. It, it resolves itself to a certain course of action. It prepares. It determines ahead of time to do the right thing no matter what. And that word strong means that this be determined, show focus and follow through. And in this case, Joshua's courage would lead to his being resolved to obey God's commands no matter what. Do you see what he says? Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all that I have commanded you that's written in my law. That takes courage. Because the things God commands are hard. And in our culture, they're increasingly unpopular. And so the only way, the only way to be a person who obeys God, you have to not only have the ability to endure hardship and pain and keep going, you have to resolve yourself ahead of time to do the right thing. You have to have a plan for your obedience and carry through with it. And probably the best illustration that I know is when Jonathan Edwards, I love it when they come by in the middle of our time. Jonathan Edwards, and I want you, if you're a teenager, I want you to just think about this for just a minute. Jonathan Edwards, who probably is the greatest mind America's ever produced, uh, was the architect in many ways of the Great Awakening in the 18th century in New England. When Jonathan Edwards was 19 years old, did you hear me? When he was 19 years old, he came up with a set of what he called resolutions. 70 of them. 70 of them. And these resolutions were his being thoughtful and planning for his obedience and then committing to do the things that he had planned. So he said things like resolved. That I will do whatever I think to be most to God's glory in my own good profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence. Don't you wish we talked like that still? Resolved. To do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this, whatever difficulties or afflictions I meet with, however many and however great they may be. You see, he was a young man who, who knew I have to plan for the kind of life that I want to live and then be resolute to carry out the plans that I've made. That's courage. Now, if that's courage, if that's what courage is and if that's what it does, then the second thing that we've got to talk about this morning is then where does it come from? What's the source of this kind of courage? What, this, this sense of pushing through, taking a punch, not going down, this resoluteness in my intention to be obedient to all of the commands of the Lord, whatever come what may, where does that kind of courage come from? And the answer in the passage is that courage comes from knowing that God, that God is with you. So let's walk through the passage one more time. Verse 5. The Lord says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 10, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then down in verse 17, the people say, just as we obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord be with you as he was with Moses. And so all of these promises and these overtures of God being with Joshua and the people in this mission that he has given them uh, to do here as they try to get back to their home. So what does it mean for God to be with you? That's the question we have to answer, right? What does it mean then for him to promise to be with you? And here's, I want to try to just dig at this for a minute with you. And I think it means something like this. 
And I hope these things bring comfort to your heart this morning. It means that God will never change his mind about you. The people in your life may weary of you, but God will never weary of you. Your friends might give up on you, but he won't ever give up on you. Even your spouse might go back on his vows, but God will never fail to keep his word. He is absolutely committed to you. He has bound himself to you covenantally so that he can't turn his back on you or change his mind about you. When God says, I will be with you, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means that he is uncompromisingly committed and obligated to you to love you no matter what. Isn't that amazing? And because he loves you like that, he's also pledged all of his power and authority and resources to you as you walk in obedience to his commands. When God says, I will be with you, it's not just a promise that he loves you no matter what. It's a promise that he will work for you, that he will fight for you, that he will provide for you, that in all that he does, he will be doing good to you, that all of his power, all of his authority, all of his riches, all of his grace are at your disposal, that every promise of the scripture is contained in this one promise. I will be with you. That's why the psalmist sings, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And it's why the apostle Paul would say, if God before us, what? Who can be against us? And it's why when Sennacherib and his armies laid siege to Jerusalem in Isaiah 36, which we read this past week, and there seemed to be no escape, every other kingdom, every other city had fallen, even Samaria to the north, to the king of Assyria, Hezekiah sends word to Isaiah the prophet, what do I do? And Isaiah's reply is, don't be afraid. <laughs> and it's why when you are confronted with a situation, whether it be a relationship or a project or an adventure of some kind, that might be overwhelming at first because it is dangerous or there is risk involved and you need courage, you can have courage. Not reckless self-confidence and selfish ambition, but wise, humble courage. You know, I've noticed something. I've been, my oldest son is 13 now, and I've noticed, I don't know if any other dads or parents have noticed, I've noticed that my children will do dangerous, adventurous things when I'm around that they would never do if I wasn't there. Anybody else, anybody else ever seen this? My boys will play the fool if, as long as they can see me. They'll climb up and down tall ladders. They'll jump off tall rocks into swimming holes. Something about my presence gives them courage to do things they would otherwise be scared to do, especially with my boys. My presence seems to make them courageous. And I'm told, because I'm not there, I wouldn't know, when I'm not around, uh, that they can be far more cautious. Now, why is that? And I, I'm convinced that it's because they believe that even if their strength fails them, they know mine won't. That my presence provides a sheltering strength that makes them feel safe because they, and because they feel safe, they are willing to be courageous. So where does courage come from? It comes from knowing that even if or when your strength fails you, God's strength never will. His love will never fail you. His grace will never fail you. His spirit will never fail you. Even if your strength fails you, even if you dare to do the kinds of things that you know from the beginning, you don't know if you have the resources to complete the task, but it's what he's called you to, whether it be plant a church or whether it be, uh, you know, go away to school uh, when you're scared and you want to stay home or whatever it might be. When, you, when we step out in faith to do these things, even if our fail, faith 
faith fails us, even if our strength fails us, if your faith is in Jesus, you can be confident God's strength will never fail you. You're completely safe in his love for you. And what this story helps us to see is that behind every struggle to obey God is a struggle to find the courage to obey. That the struggle for obedience is always a struggle for courage. And the Bible has a lot to say about these kinds of things. Just, you know, I can give you lots of examples, but just one. The Bible has a lot to say about being generous in the mission. So part of the adventure, part of the adventure that God calls us to is to be able to sing. And I don't know, I kind of shut my mouth. I don't know about you, but go then earthly fame and treasure. Come disaster, scorn and pain. Hello? Did anybody else kind of go, I'm not sure I want to say that. I always kind of flinch. Right? So if that really, but that is, that is the voice of faith. Go, I mean, that is, go then earthly fame and treasure, come disaster, scorn and pain. I mean, how in the world do you find the courage to be able to sing something like that, let alone begin to live that way? Why is it so hard to be generous? Why is it hard to give stuff away? Because it takes courage to know that you're going to be okay. So where does the, the courage to be generous come from? And we read Hebrews 13 this past week, where the Hebrews writer says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content and be generous. For, in other words, here's why, keep your life free from the love of money and be content and be generous. For, he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So, How can we be absolutely sure that God is with us and will never leave us or forsake us? That's the question, see. That's the question just underneath all of our sins and doubts and discouragements. And that's what the Hebrews writer is working on in Hebrews 12. When he says, he says in Hebrews 12, in your assurance apart, I know it can be hard at times. I know you've sacrificed a lot, but you've not yet had to shed your blood. But Jesus shed his blood. And he did it for you to show you once and for all that he means it when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. What Hebrews says if you, take, if you take that in, if you see Jesus loving you all the way to the cross, his courage and his endurance for you will create in you the same kind of courage and endurance. His spirit will come and work in your life, the same courage that Jesus himself showed in his mission to love and rescue you. So how can you know that, how can we as New Testament, you know, people this side of the cross know that when God says here in Joshua 1, I will never leave you or forsake you, and we take those words to heart, how do we know he won't leave us out there on our own if we follow him? How can you know that you can trust him when he says, I'll be with you? The New Testament calls Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us, God for us. Even my Old Testament professor said in seminary, God who fights for us. So you see, we need courage in order to Engage in the mission and not lose heart and shut down due to discouragement and fear or to become rash and thoughtless. And courage comes from relying on God's love for you. The promise that he makes to Joshua and Israel here is true that he is for us, that he will never leave or forsake us. But if you're like me, you might say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief because you realize that there are spots where that truth still hasn't really kind of made its way from here to hear and begin to sunk, sink down into your life. And so you're finding it hard to find the courage to obey God and join the mission. So how do you get to work on the parts of your life where you still struggle with unbelief? Or if you're not a Christian, but you're curious, and you would say, I don't know if I can really believe this stuff, or that song y'all sang, that's crazy. I don't, I don't know if I can really commit to that, but I'm, but I'm curious, what do you do? Christian or agnostic, what do you do? And the church has historically 
pointed to the weak in faith and those investigating the faith to what we call the means of grace or spiritual practices through which the Holy Spirit can work on us. And there are two of these, and I've got to finish with this, and we've got to get uh, ready for communion. But there are two, and I just want to very quickly point, point you to them, and they're these. They're, they're first the personal meditation on the Scriptures, which contain the Gospel, and then the transforming experience of Gospel community. And let me just take a minute to comment on each of those, okay? The first thing, the first spiritual discipline this text points us to is personal meditation on the Scriptures. So you see in verses 6 through 9, the Lord says that Joshua's courage... And resoluteness should be toward obedience in the scriptures. You see verse 7. Be strong, very courageous, being careful to do all that is according, all, according to all the law. So Joshua's courage and resoluteness should be toward obedience. But then in verse 8, God says that the scriptures have a spiritual power about them that produce the courage and resoluteness that we need. So Joshua's told, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This is verse 8. You shall meditate on it day and night, for then you, will have, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And This is almost identical to Psalm 1, where the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of living water, fruitful and healthy, and in all he does, he prospers. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean if you read community Bible reading in the morning, then you're assured to have a good day, and if you don't, you better watch out. If you're a good little Christian and come to church and read your Bible, then God will reward you with blessings. But of, of course not. We don't. No, of course not. Instead, what it means is that the Bible is like a compass that is constantly pointing true north. And we, because we're sinful and rebellious, are constantly getting lost and disoriented. And so the Bible is there to help us get our bearings, to point out what's good and what's right, which is what God defines as good and right, so that we can stay headed in the right direction. So, you know, okay, but if, if we meditate on the Bible daily or day and night, like we're told here, it's like heading into the woods with your compass out in front of you to keep you from getting into trouble, to keep you on course. And that's why both Psalm 1 and Joshua 1 say, if you commit yourself to constant, consistent, personal meditation on the Scriptures, and if you build your life on the things that God says, you'll be strong, you'll be like a tree, Planted in water, healthy and fruitful. Do you need courage? I do. I need to know that I'm safe in God's love, but I keep forgetting that. Anybody else? I keep acting like I'm not. So I have to constantly be reminded, and that's why I read the scriptures every day. Because without them, I forget. But secondly, and I need to come to a close. Secondly, not only personal meditation on the scriptures, but also a transforming experience of gospel community. And this is probably my favorite part of the passage. It's really easy to miss. But down in verse 12, Joshua begins to mass the army to go to war, and they're still to the east of the Jordan River. If I had a map, I could show you, but just trust me on this. And three of the 12 tribes of Israel, their inheritance lay to the east of the Jordan. And what we're told is they've already settled down into the land that had been allotted to them. So you have the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So when Joshua says, get ready, we're, we're crossing the Jordan and going to war, they, they must have thought to themselves, hey, good luck, guys. Right? My, praying for you. <laughs> but no, look what Joshua says. He says, he says, you don't get to rest until your brothers are resting. So get ready. Because you're going over with us. In fact, you're going over at the head of the army. They go over armed in front. In other words, you're 
even though you've come into your rest, you're going in front of your brothers, you're probably going to suffer the most casualties, and that's gospel community. In gospel community, I can't be indifferent to your needs. Your needs lay a claim on me. If, you, if I have a resource and you have a need, then I'm obligated to meet that need. Your problems become my problems. We're not independent of one another. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Paul says. And another way of saying that is, in bearing one another's burdens, we become Christ to each other. We make the gospel tangible and true, just like my kids, who are much more courageous when I'm around because they know that even if their strength fails, mine won't. Gospel community is like that. The care of gospel friends who are willing to love one another the way that Christ has loved them creates a sheltering strength that allows us to be far more adventurous, to take far more risks, to dream bigger dreams than we would otherwise dare. Because even if my strength fails me, the strength of my friends surely won't. And can I say something? The the way most people come to believe that God is for them and will never leave them or forsake them is to experience it in a group of people who love one another like that. Who refuse to give up on one another. Can we be a community like that? In community groups, can we come around one another like that and be little mini gospel communities that help one another to be strong and courageous? Not casual discussion groups, but gospel platoons who fight for one another? Man, that's my prayer. Where do you need courage this morning? Where would you say, gosh, I just need, I need what you're talking about. Where do you need courage? Let me encourage you. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews says, who for the joy set before him endure the cross. Consider him that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Uh, let's pray as we come to the table. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. For the way you condescend to our needs uh, to speak into the, the, the worries and the fears that our hearts might be tempted to be overwhelmed by. That we are grateful that you don't scoff at us when we say, oh Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But that you uh, truly, you condescend to give us what we need. And so I thank you for over and over again, the way a teacher would to a student, the way a parent would to a child, over and over again, you, you say to our hearts from this text, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, for I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I will never leave you or forsake you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. May we hear your voice whispering those truths to our hearts, even as we come to this table, because it's at this table where you put all of our doubts and fears to rest. It's here where you reveal yourself to truly be God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, who endured all the way to the cross because it's what, the, what loving us cost and demanded. May we glimpse him, and in glimpsing him, may we find in us the same generosity and the same endurance that he showed in loving us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. As you go uh, facing whatever it is that you have to face when you leave here, wherever you need courage, uh, this song ringing in your ears, in your heart, uh, being sung over you, to you, and as you go, sing it. Uh, It'll give you the courage to know you're bound for the promised land, a place where God the Son forever reigns and is currently reigning. If that doesn't give you courage, I don't know what will. So receive the benediction as one final good word and promise over you uh, of encouraging you.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.